my name is Michael Rich. I'm part of the ministry team here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. Uh, today we're continuing our series in 2 Timothy, looking today at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you, or alternatively our corner post, our church newsletter, please have our passage in front of you as I read that out for us now. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. And this is God's word. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we sung earlier about um, you being the one who breathes life into dry bones. Our Father, we pray that your spirit would be at work in our church this morning. Father, we pray that he would be here and present. Lord, that as um, we hear your word preached, Father, Lord, that you would be working powerfully. Lord, that your spirit would be at work powerfully here at, in our church. And I pray, Father, that you would be with me also, your servant, as I preach this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Timothy Whitmer, in his book, The Shepherd Leader, opens up with a dramatic story to engage the reader. Uh, he introduces us to Kathy, a young woman who was off the rails, but then she gave her life to Christ. But quickly, old habits kept creeping in, and eventually, Kathy stopped coming to church. And no one in the church followed up. 
No one went to him. No one went after him. And soon, he just became a name on their books. A years later, Patty returned to church. She was dying. She was not sure of her place before God. And she came to her church leaders. However, the interaction between her and those church leaders was far too brief to give any account. Patty herself would have to give an account before God for her actions. But would she be the only one? Would she be the only one to give an account before God for her actions and what she has, been, what she has done in recent years? A witness says that she is not the only one who is going to give an account. Uh, those church leaders, those under-shepherds, will have to give an account for that one lost sheep. And Scripture affirms this. The writer of the Hebrews says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. But I want to ask, I want to ask, if one lost sheep starts drifting away from the rest of the flock, either through the cares of this world or through some false teaching, is this just a concern for our elders? Or is this a concern for the whole church? Or perhaps said another way, is, the, is this book, 2 Timothy, just for Timothy? Or is it for our elders and Timothy? Or is it been a letter that has been preserved for each of us? Yes, 2 Timothy is first and foremost a letter written by Paul to Timothy. It's a personal, pastoral epistle. And Paul's message to Timothy is to persevere in the faith and for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to be preserved. That the gospel would continue to be made known. That the good news of Jesus would continue to be declared, made known within the church, but also to those that don't yet know. Paul encourages Timothy again and again in this letter, keep entrusting the gospel to faithful people. Keep reminding God's people these things, these things which I have told you. So it could be said that after Timothy, that this epistle is a message for our elders. For the elders of our church do have a direct responsibility to promote and to protect the gospel. But this is a letter also directed to each of us. It has lessons for each of us here today. In our passage, Paul charges Timothy to promote and to protect the gospel. And he also encourages Timothy to patiently restore those who have delved into false teaching. He instructs Timothy to go after those lost sheep who have strayed away and who have followed in false teaching. And I want to say, friends, the concern for one lost sheep, the concern and welfare for those struggling in the faith is a task, yes, for our elders, but it's a task for each of us. It's a responsibility for the church, for all of us. So there are lessons here for us to embrace. 2 Timothy is also a letter for each of us. 
It has been a letter preserved for each of us that we may be encouraged by this letter, that we may be warned from this letter. It's not a letter handed down from one elder to the next. It's a letter that has been given to each of us. Promoting and protecting the gospel is a responsibility for all of us, all of God's people. For we have all been called to pray for one another, to correct one another, to build one another up as part of the body of Christ. Each of us have a responsibility to teach and protect the gospel. For it is the message of the salvation. It is a message that has been given to us. Today I'm working from the following three points. And each of my points start with the letter P. First, promote the gospel. Second, protect the gospel. And third, patiently restore the lost. Let's get straight into it with our first point. Promote the gospel. Paul says to Timothy in verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. In verse 19, Paul tells us who God's people are. They are the ones who confess the name of the Lord and who turn away from wickedness. And Paul says to Timothy, keep reminding them. Keep reminding them what? Keep reminding them all that Paul has said thus far. Keep reminding God's people about who Jesus is. Keep speaking about his life, his death, and his resurrection. Tell them that they have been saved by Christ, that they have been set apart by Christ. In short, keep speaking to God's people the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. Speak about his complete work. Tell them about who he is, his character. And friends, this is not just a message we hear once. It's a message we constantly need to keep hearing. We need to constantly be kept hearing the gospel. We need to keep hearing about who Jesus is, what he has done, and how we, his people, are to respond to his work. And Paul says, as you teach them, as you teach them the good news of Jesus, warn them. And protect them. Warn them and protect them against quarreling. Uh, This quarreling is referring to the words of false teachers. And Paul is warning about quarrels that are contrary to the gospel. He says these quarrels, these arguments they have, they have no value. And to only engage with them would be done to your own detriment. And Paul says to Timothy, as you do all this, As you do all this, do so as a worker approved by God. In other words, promote and protect the gospel by living it out. In verse 15, Paul says this involves not being ashamed of the gospel. In other words, one who is living out their holy calling. That God's people are living holy lives in the vocations that they have been given. Friends, that if you have been saved by Christ, then you are living for Christ in all areas of your life. As a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a worker, as a friend, who is unashamedly living out the gospel, living out what Jesus has done for you. That how you act, how you speak, 
how you work is for God's worship. It's for God's praise. At Christ College, uh, the theological college I studied at, um, the slogan of Christ College was Christ for all of life. Christ for all of life. That Christ is to be seen and worshipped not just here on a Sunday, but in every facet of our lives. How we live out the gospel from Monday to Saturday is also worship. How parents raise their children is a form of worship. But how you raise your children will bring honor and glory to God. As Abraham Titus said, once said, there is not one square inch of the world over which Christ does not triumph, says Martin. For those whom Christ has saved, he has called us, he has called them to live a holy life and to be unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of Jesus. The second thing that Paul tells Timothy to do as a worker approved by God, is to handle God's word correctly. Teach what God's word says and do this faithfully. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, share this message with faithful people who can share it with others. In other words, teach those who can teach others. It was a one, it's a wonderful exhortation of discipleship. And what does it look like to handle the word of God correctly? Does it mean that every Christian needs to go to Bible college to handle God's word properly? No. No, it doesn't. But the Christian is called to speak God's word and to handle it with reverence. To see it as the word of God. It means as you engage with God's word, as you wrestle with what God's word is saying, you are to discern what the writer's intent is, and you are to say what the passage is saying. Broadly speaking, there are two ways of reading the Bible. Perhaps you've heard of them before. Uh, it's exegesis and eisegesis. Uh, for those unfamiliar, exegesis comes from the Greek words ex, meaning out, and hegestai, meaning to lead or to guide. And so exegesis is an interpretation coming directly from the text. Eisegesis, from the Greek word eis, meaning into, and hegesai, to lead or to guide, means then, eisegesis then meaning an interpretation leading into the text. Let me give an example of eisegesis, eisegesis would then be saying, God loves you. God loves you. Opening up God's word and saying, look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Close your Bible. God so loves us. That's what the Bible says. And if God loves us, then he wants what's best for you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to live the best life now. Our friends, to describe God's word, describe God's love is merely this, to insert our own definitions of what love means into God and how God loves would be false. Uh, this type of reading is inserting into the text rather than letting what the text says speak for itself. 
and worker approved by God, uh, these are our pastors, our elders and teachers, they must handle God's word correctly. But this is also a lesson for each of us. Each of God's people, they handle God's word correctly. As God's people engage with the Bible, they are to speak what the text is saying, not what they think the Bible should be saying. And we don't insert meaning into the text. The text already has meaning. And so as Christians speak God's word to those around us, as parents instruct their children, as a Christian shares the word of truth with those in their workplace, or as one friend encourages another, we are to speak God's word. We are to say what the text is saying. We are to handle God's word correctly. I want to pause for a second. And I want to offer each of God's people an opportunity to, to reflect. To ask ourselves, are we doing this? Are we living out the gospel in the roles that we have been given? As a worker, as a student, as a parent, as a son, as a daughter, as a brother, and as a sister? And are we praying for it? Are we praying for opportunities? And are we taking opportunities as the Lord makes it happen to live out the gospel and to speak the gospel into, into the lives of those around us? And if we are doing that, as we reflect on this question and we realize that we need help to do this better, well, let us then come before the Lord in prayer let us pray to our Lord that he would equip us to live for him and to speak his word to those around us. As, we, as Paul has reminded us in previous weeks, he has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. He will help us to live out the calling that we have been given. He will help us to share the truth of God's word with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also those around us who don't yet know Jesus. Now the second lesson for us to embrace is to protect the gospel. That's our second point. Point two, protect the gospel. And in verses 16 to 23, Paul tells Timothy two different ways of protecting the gospel. And it's expressed in how to handle false teaching. First, Paul says, avoid it. Avoid it. Verses 16 to, 16 to 19, Paul says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. And they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Uh, Paul says, avoid godless chatter. He warns us that those who pursue it will only find further ungodliness. It will consume them like gangrene or cancer. I have a friend who went through a season of recently listening to podcasts and sermons and even reading some books that led him down a spiral of questionable teaching and theology. And instead of avoiding it, 
what did he do? They kept delving further and further, deeper into this teaching until he thought of it as normal. It actually informed how he saw the church. Uh, by God's grace, he was told, you need to stop listening to them. You need to stop reading them. And admonishment brought my friend back on the path of the straight and narrow. Uh, this lesson, this lesson is an, a lesson for each of us. Uh, that we need to be cautious of what we might read, of what we might listen to. But friends, how do you tell what is false teaching and what is true teaching? Well, I want to suggest, if you are familiar with true teaching, you'll be able to spot out what's false. I, I really enjoyed the children's address given by Nathaniel with a series of cards saying what, of true statements and false statements and being able to discern what is true and what is false. And friends, the only way we can be able to, to do that is by being familiar with what's true. In other words, we need to keep coming back to what's true. We need to be, keep being informed by God's word. We need to keep coming back and being informed by the gospel. So this involves keep reading God's word. Keep wrestling with what the text is saying. Uh, the reading of God's word is not an activity we should just do once in a while or when we feel like it. We should be making the reading of God's word a part of our lives. But the question is, that some of us may have, uh, is it wrong to call that false teaching? Is it wrong to call that false teaching? Absolutely not. Uh, if we are aware of a particular false teaching and that the church is vulnerable to it, then there are people, and that there may be people who will embrace it within our church, then we must call it out. That's what Paul does. Paul calls out the false teaching of Hymenius and Philippus, who teach that the resurrection has already taken place. And friends, sadly, this is a teaching that we also, also can see today. Uh, this form of teaching, to use the technical term, is over-realized eschatology which teaches that the eschaton has already happened, that the resurrection has already happened, that the full blessings of Christ can be experienced now, that our best life is now. Uh, perhaps you know of some false teachers out there who teach and claim that our best life is now, who teach as if the resurrection has already happened. Uh, this type of teaching is false. Our scripture tells us that our best life isn't now. And we can see that for ourselves. As we look out the window, as we look at the world around us, we, what do we see? Uh, we see suffering. We see hurt. We see disaster. We see death. And as we look also inward to ourselves, what do we see also? We see brokenness. We see hardship. We see our sin. God's word tells us the best life is yet to come. And it will happen when the Lord Jesus returns. And what, did, what will Jesus do when he returns? Uh, he will do away with all the suffering, all the hurt. He will deal with sin fully and finally. Uh, the Christian still waits. They wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. We still await the full redemption of our bodies. 
And when Christ returns, he will deal with sin fully and finally. When false teaching is so dangerous, it can ruin a person's faith. Paul says to Timothy, he says to us, don't get involved. Don't even get involved in false teaching. Just avoid it. The second thing Paul says to Timothy in regards to false teaching is this. He says, remove it. Have a look with me at verse 20 and 21. Paul says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Uh, John Stott, in his commentary, says that these utensils are not talking about the different members of the church, but rather the teaching you will find in the church, that you will find both true and false teaching. Across the church, and when I say church, think across denominations, Across denominations, you will find different kinds of teaching. Some that are right, some that are clearly wrong. And the danger isn't just what you might hear from this pulpit. I think a more common danger that we can all be prone to is what we may read or listen to. Another story for us. I remember hearing a story about a woman who, who started doubting the Bible. And in her pursuit for answers to her questions, uh, she started reading stuff from Eastern religions, and she even delved into some New Age teaching. But by God's grace, she was told, if you're having doubts, don't look into that stuff. Rather, come to God. Come to God in prayer. And she was encouraged, as you pray, pray through your doubts, and keep coming back to God for And she was encouraged as she prayed to read the gospel of John. Friends, the danger does not necessarily happen from the pulpit. Uh, Don't get me wrong, it can happen from the pulpit. But a danger we need to be aware of is what we might pick up, what we might listen to. And so what is the lesson here for each of us? Well, if you are listening to false teaching, if you're reading things that are clearly false. What does Paul tell us to do? He says, remove it. If you have books that are clearly false, remove them from your bookshelf. If you've got things on your devices which you're listening to, delete them. Paul says to us, remove false teaching. Don't use these things to edify you because they won't edify you. They won't grow you in godliness and maturity. He says they will destroy you. Those who indulge in false teaching will become more and more ungodly. Uh, The question some of us here may have is, uh, shouldn't we be concerned for those who have delved into false teaching? Uh, Is it not okay to read or be informed about false teaching if it means helping someone else? Uh, To answer this, we come to our third point. Point three patiently restore the lost. 
Uh, Paul has warned us not to get involved in false teaching. Paul has also has said to Timothy how to, with wisdom though, engage with false teaching. How to engage with that lost sheep who has wandered from the flock and how to restore them in God's grace back into the fold. Paul first says what not to do, what not to do. Have a look at verse 22 and 23 with me. Flee the evil desires of youth, Paul says. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels. Uh, the youthful desires Paul talks about here is not sexual sin. It is focusing on sin that corresponds with quarreling, abrasiveness, aggression, harsh words. The list goes on. I remember, I remember when I, was a, I became a Christian during my years at university. Uh, there was a number of us, actually, and we embraced the teachings of Calvinism. And typical of a young men who embraced Calvinism, we entered what is sometimes referred to as the cage state, where we became like animals who wanted to let everyone know what we thought was right. Where we suddenly got this tunnel vision that what we embraced was the only true teaching and that all the other teachings were false. And we did this zealously. We tried to correct everyone around us and when I mean zealous, I mean there were times we were abrasive. I mean times when we were rude. I mean times when we were just mean. Uh, Paul says here to Timothy, he says to the church, flee, flee from that temptation, but rather pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, seek to win people through your conduct, your love, and your humility. Therefore, if and when you engage with false teaching, uh, don't engage with someone hoping that you may win the war, that you will win the arguments and have won the debate rather engage with that person hoping to win them hoping to win them so the question then is how do we properly engage how do we properly engage with those who have fallen into the snare of false teaching well Paul says to Timothy do it gently and do it patiently as you seek to restore them have a look at verses 24 and 26 now with me and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Uh, when dealing with false teaching, uh, we want to avoid it. We also want to remove it from our lives. But we don't want to abandon those who have fallen into the trap of false teaching. 
you remember Kathy? Uh, we opened up with a story about Kathy who went off the rails. And she delved into old habits. And she left the church. The right thing to have done would have been to go after her. To go after that lost sheep. That someone from the church, an elder, an older woman, someone should have gone after her. Should have asked how she was going. Should have corrected her. And should have sought to gently, patiently restore her back into the fold. Our Old Testament passage from Ezekiel told us that if we warn people of their sins and their mistakes, we may not only save them, but also save ourselves. For we will all have to give an account for our actions before the Lord. So how do we do this? How do we do this then? Well, Paul says to the church, keep gently showing them the truth. Keep pointing those who have delved into false teaching. Keep pointing them to God's word. Keep pointing out gently the falsehood and the dangers of what they think is true. So the question was asked, is it okay to inform oneself of false teaching? Yes. However, this must be done with truth. This must be done with wisdom. And as you engage with false teaching, gently exposing those errors, uh, speak to them the person. Don't speak to them the walls. Gently restoring someone will require wisdom, strength, and perseverance. It's not a task you can do alone. Though you will need to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. This means a lot of prayer. It also means asking people to be praying for you and praying that as you seek to Seek to go after that lost sheep, that they will be praying for your convocation. Praying for them also. Praying that in what we say and do as we seek to engage with them, that God would ultimately gently restore that person. It's God's work. That God remove from them the misconceptions of the false teaching that they've led to believe. We need to pray that God would heal them them from that cancer that's consuming them. In other words, we need to pray that God would redeem them, that God would rescue them from the snares and traps of the evil one. Friends, we need to seek to gently restore those caught in false teaching, patiently restore the lost, until the Lord Jesus returns, until Christ returns, we will have brothers and sisters from the church who will embrace false teaching. Children who grow up in the faith and who will walk away or have already walked away. Friends and family that will fall into the traps and snares of the evil one. In other words, friends, we will have a lot of crackers. And if we see this happening, we should go after those lost sheep. We should pray for those lost sheep. We should look and pray for opportunities to gently restore them. This means that we aren't to go as a full army after them. We aren't to go and beat them over the head with the Bible. We aren't to burn bridges. But we are to look for opportunities to speak a word in and out of season. So friends, in how we conduct ourselves, 
We are to promote the gospel. We are to handle God's word correctly. We are to protect the gospel by staying away from that which is false and keep coming back to what is true. Keep being informed by God's word. However, when we do see one of our brothers and sisters slipping, then let's be there to help pick them up. Our Lord Jesus is concerned for his flock. He is concerned for his lost sheep. And he will use us, his people, to be part of the work in promoting the gospel, protecting the gospel, but also patiently restoring those who have fallen away. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. For, Lord, we thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us. Father, we thank you for the good news that we have received. Father, we thank you for how you have saved us, your people. And you have given us history and the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he will continue to do for us. Father, we thank you for the help that is stored for us in heaven. Our Father, we, we think and pray for those who have fallen away. Father, we bring before you friends and family who are no longer with us, meeting with us, who have turned away from your word. Our Father, we pray for their souls. Our Father, we pray for opportunities where you will give us a word to speak both in and out of season. Our Father, we pray that you would help us as we do this task. Father, help us to keep praying for you. That we would keep petitioning you to restore them and to save them from the traps of the evil one. Our Father, help us to be part of this great work that you are doing in promoting the gospel, protecting the gospel, but also patiently restoring the lost. Help us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.